We're in the book of James, the far right-hand side of the Bible, James chapter 1, specifically this morning, verses 13 through 18. And I want you to think about this for a moment. Have you ever been so greatly tempted in your life that you had no other choice but to sin? Like, think about that. I know we chuckle about it. But think about a moment in, when you've been so tempted you had nothing but to sin. Many people will talk about falling into temptation and sinning and will say, well, it's because the environment, the culture I'm in, uh, I, you know, I, I sin because of that uh, family background that I have, or it's in my genetics you know, to uh, fall under that temptation. Uh, my friends were all doing it. I had no other choice. Um, or the famous line, the devil made me do it. As we look at James chapter 1, verses 13 through 18 this morning, the spiritual truth, the scriptural truth we look to is this. Resist temptation that leads to death by looking to Jesus who gives us life. Look at verses 12. I'm going to begin in verse 12 and we'll focus in on verses 13 through 18. James writes and says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. And we're blessed that we have the word of God to to read. Amen? And the blessing also for the believer is having the Holy Spirit to give us understanding. In this text, James has not left where he started from. We spent a few weeks ago looking at the fact that he said, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of various kinds. And many times we're like, well, I I don't have joy when I face a trial. And we saw that the outcome is spiritual maturity. And we saw that God does test us in our faith. He allows tests and sins tests, but he also helps us go through the tests and grow in spiritual maturity. And so he said there in chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The word that he uses there, trial, in the original language, is the same word that he uses tempted here. And it's fascinating when you think of these because you may think of temptation as just this area of battling with sin different from trials that you face, but yet James uses both terms. This Greek uh, verb, periazo, which is a form of a noun word, uh, noun uh, periosmos, it means for a trial or temptation. James was focusing specifically on trials on the outside that we face, and now he turns it inward, that we face an inward temptation or an inward trial. And therefore, every trial that you face in your life faces the temptation to disobey God and sin. 
And so whatever trial that you may face, some horrible consequence, something that happens in your life that God is allowing or using to build your faith, the temptation is there for you to blame God. The temptation is there for you to sin against God in that. And James says, verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. And so again, we go back to the fact that Scripture teaches us that God does test his people. He does send trials. And some of you would say, yes, he does. If you read Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, it says God tested Abraham. He said, go take your only son who you love. Take him up on the mountain that I tell you and sacrifice him there to me. And Abraham was faithful and he was obedient. And he took his son, not knowing how God would provide. And just as he's ready to slay his son and be obedient to God's command, God says, hold on, do not slay your son. I was testing you, and I see that your faith is in me. And he provided a ram to be sacrificed that day. In Exodus chapter 16, God told Moses, he says, I'm going to provide manna for the nation of Israel. All their complaints, oh, we don't have any food. I wish we could go back to Egypt. And God said, I'm going to send manna for the purpose to test them if they will be obedient to my law. So we know that God does test his people for the purpose of strengthening their faith But we also must know that the Word of God clearly says God never tempts anyone to sin against Him. And this is where sometimes as Christians, um, and I'll say even non-Christians, we have bad theology. Either from lack of reading God's Word or from uh, listening to heretical or wrong uh, teaching. Uh, But there are things that we make at statements at time in the midst of trials, specifically with temptation, that don't line up with the Word of God. To hear another Christian say a statement like this, God gave me this temptation to see if I'm not strong enough to stand. Do you see how that doesn't line up with what James just said? God does not tempt anyone. He cannot be tempted by evil. He doesn't send temptation. And as we read there, and we'll read, temptation rises from our own desire of sinfulness. I've heard other believers say, God allowed this sin in my marriage so that I could, by the Scripture, then divorce my non-Christian spouse. Again, Twisting the Word of God and not just stating it and taking it plainly and clearly and within context, there is that temptation and a reason why many Christians have bad theology because we want the Scripture to fit our trial, to fit in our temptation, to fit what's happening in our life, and we must not and cannot do that. If you go back, I want you to read Genesis chapter 3 this week. The fall of mankind when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. If you read chapter 1 and 2, God created the universe, the heavens and the earth. Every day that he spoke into existence, creation, he said it was good. And then when he created Adam, he said it was very good. And he created Eve from a rib from Adam. And they were in the garden. And he said, Adam, all of this you can have. And you have dominion over all the animals. But do not eat of this tree. One thing. Satan enters the picture 
already has sinned against God, is a fallen angel, at some point is cast out of heaven, he comes to them and then says to Eve, did God really say? Did God really say that? And she even twists what God said to Adam. And it says the fruit was desirous. She ate it. She takes and gives it to Adam, who stands there silently and just enjoys the fruit. And they realize the difference between good and evil, of sinning against God. And they go and hide in the garden from God. And he says, why are you hiding? They said, because we're naked. He says, did you eat of the tree? And Adam's the first one to respond. God, it was that woman. So don't use that one, men. So he blames Eve partially, but then he says, who you gave to me, God. He shook his fist at God and said, God, you sent her to me, and basically, God, you tempted me, and I sinned. I had no other choice. She gave it to me. I had to eat it. And then God says to Eve, God, it was the serpent. He made me do it. The devil made me do it. Neither one of them took any responsibility that they sinned against the Lord God. Instead, they blame him, and in one sense, blaspheme him, calling him, in one sense, the tempter. But James says God never tempts anyone into sin. He does not want his people to sin. Therefore, he does not tempt anyone. Look at verse 13. God, he himself, tempts no one. You should know, understand, and hold to that biblical truth. God tempts no one. And so therefore, if anyone would dare say that God tempts, it's blasphemous to even say so. Because what we're doing is stating that God is something in His nature, which Scripture says that He is not. If you were here with us last fall, we spent a few months looking at the attributes of God and His goodness and His holiness. And therefore, as uh, John tells us, there is no darkness in Him whatsoever. And therefore, God is holy, He is good, He is right, He is just, and He, as James says, will never tempt you to sin. Verse 13, God cannot be tempted with evil. Now, it does not mean that God can never be tempted because we think of Jesus in the wilderness, which we look at in just a moment. But if you think about we, our study about God's omnipotence, does anyone remember what omnipotence means? God is all-powerful, and so he, is, uh, he cannot be thwarted, He cannot stop, but it does not mean, and stay with me here, that He can... That, it does not mean that he can not do uh, everything. You say, whoa, wait a minute. God cannot do anything that would go contrary to his nature. But he is, amen, he is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. In his nature, he cannot lie, which we read in Hebrews. God cannot also, as James, look at the verse here, 13, he cannot and will not tempt you to do evil because God is Holy. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. Read 1 John chapter 1 John this week as he repeatedly says, God is light. There's no darkness. There's no evil. There is no wickedness. There is no sin in God. He is completely holy. Therefore, he will not tempt you to sin. 
But remember Jesus? Wasn't Jesus tempted in the wilderness? You ever read that in the gospel account before? After he was baptized, it was an ordained uh, moment because the Holy Spirit leads him out into the desert where Satan comes and tempts him. And God the Father allows that. And you must remember that Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. Therefore, at the end of this here, we'll look at Hebrews, in which he was tempted every way like you, and he never sinned. But God the Father did not tempt the Son to sin in the wilderness. Satan, who is wicked and evil, tempted Jesus to do so, and Jesus never did. Therefore, God also cannot inwardly be tempted to sin because he does not have a sin nature like you and I. God allows temptation to happen, and if you turn to 1 Corinthians, know this. If you are facing temptation and it is a hard battle, know that God, for the Christian, has given a great and wonderful promise. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I was sure someone would say amen to that. <laughs> Did you read it? Yes. When you are tempted, as we'll see, James says, by your own desires, God always has a way out. And that's by looking to Jesus Christ. So those of you who face, all of you who face temptation, God always provides a way out. Specifically for the believer. That God has changed the heart's believer, the heart of the, of the believer, and his desires for you to walk in holiness, and therefore he will not set you up for a fall. Some people think God is that way. They think he's just like the Roman and Greek mythological gods, that he sets us up, that we fall on our face so we can grow in our faith. No, God does not do that. That is an evil God. That is Satan. That is the wickedness of man's heart. But there will never be a temptation that a Christian faces that you cannot stand up and endure. And again, those who would say God tempts us is in great error. God is not the originator of evil. He is not the one who tempts. Therefore, as Christians, never blame God for tempting you to sin. God is not responsible for evil in this world or the temptation that it produces. God ordains evil for the purpose of his good plans. But all wickedness is not of God and comes from sinfulness of men. Look back at our text here in James, verses 14 and 15. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Second point is this, you are tempted by your own desire. This is something that if you don't know, you need to pay attention to. Because if you can understand what James says here, that temptation rises from your heart. That when you see something, when you hear something, when something is going on that is drawing you in to sin... Know that that thing is not necessarily the evil thing. It's rising from your heart. Look at verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. 
Right here in this, James uses some words which some of you would be really familiar with. Lured and enticed. It's a picture of wild game being drawn in for a deadly trap. Some of you were hunting this last season and you used sound to call the elk in. Hunting for ducks, using the duck calls. Some of you used scent so they could smell it and for some reason poured, I don't know, dough urine on yourself. So they can come in. Some of you use decoys so that those animals, they see it. And so when they hear the sound, when those elk are hearing out you calling to them, they're just starting running. Or they, hear, they smell that urine and they come flying to the spot. Or those turkeys are seeing those uh, 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 fake things right there and they come over and they want to see and they don't know that you've got a, a bow and arrow or you've got a gun pointing right at them. They're going home for dinner. But temptation, the desires of our heart, they lure us. And then it says enticed. It's actually a fishing term meaning to catch with bait. And I like this because I like to fish. It's like this attraction, like a magnet to a piece of metal. Almost like this. If you've ever seen the cartoons where it's like they go into this hypnotic state, guys walking along, and that scent of the barbecue is coming by, and he's walking along, and it's like, it's like he starts floating. And he's floating back as his eyes are like spinning because he can't stop himself. That's like this attraction. Or if you like to go fly fishing or whatever type of fishing you do and the bait you're using, if you're using a fly, you're casting this thing that's got thread and a hook and it's got feathers in it and hair and you're trying to get it presented perfectly so it floats in the water so the trout goes, oh, a big juicy bug. And you pray and hope. You're like, Lord, I want to catch it. Anyways, it comes up, hits that fly, and that hook gets in its mouth, and you've got something for the frying pan. This is the picture that James uses so that you can understand, oh, this is what my sinful desire does to me. It lures me, and it entices me. Just like Satan that Peter says, prowls like a roaring lion. He wants to devour you. This is that picture drawing in. And I think when we understand this, it's like, oh, okay, I do understand this battle with temptation. It goes in my heart. I need to ask the Lord to work in my heart. I need to read the word of God that he would change what's in my heart. In 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter uses the same words that James here uses to warn the church about false teachers. He says this in verse 14, 2 Peter uh, 2, verse 14, speaking of false teachers, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. And then down in verse 18, Peter says, for speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh. Those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. I would ask that you pray always for the elders of the church because the elders are charged with shepherding the flock of God and therefore being able to have the wisdom of God and the Holy Spirit to give us the understanding when false teaching arises in our world and in our church. 
That we would say, do not listen, do not read that. These people must go away from the church because they are teaching you and they're enticing you and they're luring you to trust in something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go back to verse 14 of James chapter 1. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. You may want to highlight, underline that, circle that. By his own desire. A strong desire within us to enjoy something of the flesh, something of the world. So the blame for temptation falls only on us alone. The devil doesn't make you do it, and God does not tempt you. It begins in your heart. And we know from uh, Romans 5... 1 Corinthians 15, that is there because we inherit that from Adam. That after Adam sinned, 1 Corinthians 15 and Romans 5, Paul says that sin is passed down to all mankind. So we wonder why we have this inclination to sin because we are born in sin. We are born with a sin nature. So all we ever want to do is sin. So when Genesis 6 says that God looked down on mankind before he flooded the earth and said all that man ever did was sin only, it helps us understand our nature and why we would be tempted by ourselves. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? This is not a description of the believer's heart. But it's a description of all of us before Christ saves us so that we can understand how we deceive ourselves and how we are, as it says, desperately sick. And again, it helps us understand that we need a Savior to save us because we cannot come out of our sinfulness on our own. Jesus taught this that a person's desire is the cause of our sin. If you turn to Matthew chapter 15, verse 18, it says, Jesus says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. So what you say started in your heart. And it says, and this defiles a person. There was an argument over there in washing their hands or not, and what makes the person clean or unclean. Jesus says, your heart, it's not that you touch something dirty. He says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, you ever had that before? It says murder. You said, well, I never murdered. Well, Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus says, if you ever thought hatred in your heart should someone, you've murdered. Adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witnesses, slander. You go and read Matthew chapter 5 through 7, a number of those things are covered on the Sermon on the Mount. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Therefore, for us to say, the things in the world, when I used to live in this way, is why I was such a sinner. Scripture doesn't support that. It begins with your heart. Your heart deceives you. Your heart lures you. Your heart entices you to sin against God because the sinfulness is already there. Look at verse 15 of James chapter 1. In verse 15, it says, Then desire... When it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Sin does not just happen. You don't just say, today, I just spontaneously, sinfully combusted. 
It was a horrible day. I slipped in a pile of sin. I stepped on a crack of sin and, and, and you know, broke my back and my mom's. What, you, I mean, we say dumb things at times because we don't want to speak the truth of God's word. So whatever excuse it is, know that sin doesn't just happen. James is clear that it is a process, and he speaks of pregnancy. We have two women in our church who are going to give birth to children this, this year that we're praying for them right now. And when you look at the process for those who have given birth or you know the birth process, he uses that as a description to show how you sin after you're tempted. Look at verse 15. Then desire when it has, is, it has conceived. Desire and conception begins with your heart. As Jesus said, the lurement and the enticement. Your heart points out to you the opportunity for you to sin. You might say, oh, this, that cookie jar is such a temptation. And they put in those chocolate cookies this week. And I know my doctor said I can't have those chocolate cookies. But I really want those chocolate cookies because they taste so wonderful. And there's this battle that goes on, but it started with your heart. Even if you saw it, it doesn't mean the cookies are bad. Well, I mean, maybe it's bad for your health, but uh, you see those, and the cookie itself is not bad, but it starts inside of you going, oh, I want the cookie. And then you just decide to walk around the kitchen the other way so you can look one more time at it. And then you like time it perfectly, and they're on the phone in the other room, and you're like, I'm going to get a cookie. And then you think about it, am I going to eat the cookie or not? And like, I shouldn't eat the cookie. And you're walking around and you're struggling with the cookie and it's like melting in your hand. And you're like, they're coming down. I better eat it. You eat it. And you got chocolate in your mouth. They're like, did you have a cookie? No, I didn't have a cookie. I mean, that's really sad. And the cookie is just a funny thing. But you think of all of our sin, we act just like that. We act like little children. And we blame, I don't know, the cookie girl just jumped up and hit me in the face or something. <clears throat> it says, when it's desired, when it's conceived, it gives birth to sin. This conception that starts in our heart births sin. And it says, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. And so just as a child grows up, it says this sin grows up. And all sin does is that it leads to death. Specifically for those who are not Christians, it leads to uh, ultimate eternal death, separated from God from all eternity in hell and the wrath of God the Father upon them. And sometimes it's kind of like, I think about this temptation and this process. It's like you have a cat, whether you like it or not. You love the cat you love to play with the cat. You get out that little stick with the little feathery thing and it goes crazy. And you get that laser pointer and shoot it on the wall. I know some of you do that. And that cat goes running around all over and you just laugh and you think it's great when the cat falls asleep on the counter and hits the floor. And you have all kinds of ha fun with it. But then one day the cat dies. You're like, oh, that cat was so fun. You know what? Maybe it still is. And you go over to the dead cat and you kind of move it around, pick up its tail. You wave the little feather thing in front of it. You get the laser out. The cat just lays there because it's dead. You go, ah, that wasn't as fun. 
Oh, but I had so much fun that time. The cat was so wonderful. Let's go try it again. This time you're playing with the cat and starting to smell some. You realize, oh, well, this, is, this isn't as good. But you keep going back to the cat because at one point it gave you some type of joy. And you keep going back to that because in your heart it says, well, you know, that was so much fun. That is a horrible, sick picture. But that is the picture of our heart to go back to those things that are sin that we think give us joy in the moment, but all of it leads to death. And Proverbs 26, 11 says, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. And I think you'd agree with me that when we sin, sometimes there's this, well, we sin because there's a temporary type of joy, which is not right. And eternal joy is found in Christ. But we go back to those things. And so sometimes, even though the Christian is, a, is, is new, is born again, uh, is clothed with the righteousness of Christ, and the, the old self is dead, we still sometimes go back and put on the grave clothes because they used to be fun in, at one point. And we lose sight of the fact that Scripture tells us Christ is your joy for eternity. So invest your time in the Word of God and the joy of Christ would fill you and turn away from the old grave clothes. Get away from the old dead cat and turn to Christ. John chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and Acts chapter 5, like Ananias and Sapphira, when they lied and led to the death, points out how Christians... Those who are saved in Christ can still sin, and that sin can lead and result in physical death. And you see those in John chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians 11 and Acts 5 are some examples. But may I say, uh, brother and sister in Christ, your joy is in Christ. Amen. It is not in the things of this world. And as you battle sin, as you battle temptation to sin, and go after those joyful things, they last for a moment. And it's actually not joy. It's kind of like human happiness. It makes us feel good for a little bit. But they do not give you eternal joy. And whenever you face trials and the temptation in the trial, uh, you must go back and remember the goal at the beginning of the chapter. The goal to go through the trial is spiritual maturity. And if God will see you through, then you will go through that. And the result and the goal of spiritual maturity will be a part of your life. Hebrews 2.18 says, For because he himself, speaking of Jesus, has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Do not forget that our Lord and Savior Jesus was tempted just like you and I. Because he knows exactly how to help you. He knows exactly how to help you. We need to constantly turn to him. And constantly look to him. Look at the last two verses, three verses here in verses 16 through 18 of James chapter 1. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers, he says in verse 16. Do not stray, do not wander off in the midst of the trial that you're in. When those temptations are coming from your heart, do not stray, do not blame God for your sins. Instead, know who God is. Hold to the truths of God's word, which tells us of his nature, which reminds us of his goodness. 
Do you know how much scripture from Genesis to Revelation speaks of God's goodness? To ever state or think or imagine that God is not good because of something you see in this world is an error. And you think, but that's how, how does that work? And God's in control and all. And it's like, don't lose sight of the fact that God is completely good throughout all eternity. He does not ever change. So if you see evil in this world, if you struggle with wickedness in this world, if you're battling the temptation, the sin, God did not place that there. He is not the author of evil. God is good all the time. Every good and perfect gift, verse 17, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. I love this passage. With whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The Father of lights, every single gift that He gives is good and it's perfect. And He knows what you need, so He gives you what you need at the perfect time, the perfect gift, and it's perfectly good. And sometimes we wrestle, Lord, I need you. He gives you as a loving father for his children, what you need, when you need it, and it's perfect. God is generous. He is loving. He is our heavenly father. As Matthew chapter 7 speaks of his generosity for his children. We just read last week in verse 5 of James 1 that when you ask for wisdom in the midst of the trials and the temptation, he gives it. But he says, you must ask, and you must ask in faith, And he will give that wisdom to you generously. But it says the Father of lights. And it makes me think back to Genesis. He says, let there be light. He placed the sun, the moon, the stars. He placed it all. He gave them names. And he spoke it with a word. And he's the Father of lights. And those are good gifts. Because after he created them, he said they were good. And so he is the father of lights, the great good giver who is generous with his children. And as we read about God's goodness throughout the word of God, it declares he's good like Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The last verse here in chapter 1 says that of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. According to God's will, he not only saves from sinful nature, but he radically changes. He makes us new. He regenerates us. Or John chapter 3, he causes us to be born again. He renews our hearts when He saves us. We saw this last week on Sunday night at the evening service, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, as James says, God has brought this forth in the life of the believer, that He saves the believer by the word of truth And Ephesians says the word of truth is the gospel. Ephesians chapter 1, 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, 
and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Therefore, the word of truth is the gospel, and the gospel, as I tell you every single week, is that you are a sinner, just as it's described here by James, and there is nothing you can ever do in your life in any way to save yourself from your sins, because as Paul writes, you are dead in your transgressions. You are a child of wrath, and we think those are horrible statements, but that's scripture, not Pastor Paul's words. And when we understand that, and the Holy Spirit moves in your hearts and opens your eyes to Jesus Christ who died on the cross, the the God-man, fully God, fully man, never sinned. When he was nailed to the cross, he therefore became sin. And he poured out and shed his blood that his people would be forgiven. And God the Father was pleased to crush his son and pour out his wrath on the Son for the sins of his people. And Jesus died, but it doesn't end, because on the third day, what happened? He rose again. He's ascended to heaven. He's ruling, reigning. He said he's coming back. And so we pray every day, Jesus, come back now. We want you to come back right now today, and we want to see him and be with him for all eternity. And so we long for that being with him forever. And James says that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. In the Old Testament, that picture of the first and best harvest. And there's so much more. We may return to part of this next week. But what do we do when we are lured and we are enticed by our own sinful hearts? The ultimate thing is you need to look to Jesus. You need to look to Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 4, and we'll end with this. And as I prepare to read this, you, again, would find yourself in a great beneficial position when you are being tempted in the midst of the trials that you're at to look to Jesus to remember that sin only brings temporary pleasure or happiness. It does not give you joy, eternal joy. The world is passing away, as John says, and that those who do the will of God will abide forever. Remember, James says to ask, and he will give you that wisdom. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Since then... We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then, brothers and sisters, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. As a worship team comes forward, let's pray.
Father, we acknowledge that you are the Father of lights. You are good, glorious, holy, righteous. And we want to praise you, and we want to give glory to you. And Father, we face trials, and we need your help, and we are so thankful, Jesus, that you would um, come and live here as we, and tempted as us, and that you would help us now even as we cry out to you. Father, I pray you would save those who've come into this place that are not followers of you, and that today they've heard the gospel and they believe, and I pray for every Christian, no matter what trial they're facing, that the, their hearts would be drawn to Jesus and not to sinful passions of the flesh. We praise you, we give you thanks, and all glory to Jesus. Never said amen. Amen.